This episode is brought to you by Nourish, your inner journey to making peace with food. Find out more at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash nourish. That is N-O-U-R-I-S-H, jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash nourish. This episode is brought to you by ConvertKit, the email marketing tools and automations that you need to grow your business. Get started building your email list for free today at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash ConvertKit. Jewish Latin Princess, episode 140, Dr. Rivka Lambert-Adler, adult Torah educator and author of 10 from the Nations, Torah Awakening Among Non-Jews. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. Have you noticed an increased awakening or interest towards Judaism from non-Jews? Is it something that you've seen in your corner of the world? And could it be connected to a messianic era? How? You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today, we get to talk about redemption, but we arrive at it from a unique angle as we explore it in connection with the increased interest in Torah and Judaism from the nations of the world, the non-Jewish world. And to elaborate more on that, we have the the fabulously eloquent Dr. Rivka Lambert-Adler. But before I bring her on, I want to first wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. Do you celebrate Thanksgiving? I'm not a big Thanksgiving person, I'll admit, and I think I've said it here before. I th- it wasn't like a thing that I grew up uh, with uh, in Puerto Rico, so I've never made it into something in my own home. Plus, quite honestly, the idea of cooking a cooking marathon a day before I have to cook for Shabbat, it's just really not too appealing to me. But I know for many who do celebrate it, um, it won't be the same as other years. And, um, and it's hard. I know, I know it's hard. I, it's kind of how I feel about Shabbat. I mean, nine months without guests at our Shabbat table is getting quite old, I'll tell you. And please, God, this shall end soon. I guess we do desperately need redemption, talking about the theme of today's interview. But before I jump into that, I have a few other announcements. First of all, as we were on the topic of the holiday season, did you hear that I'm in Real Simple Magazine, the holiday issue of Real Simple Magazine? You know that, you know that publication, right? It's actually a really, really good one. Yes. So my financial tip was included in an article on how to save money this holiday season, which for me was a great opportunity to sneak in there the real meaning of guilt, Hanukkah guilt, and I don't mean the chocolate kind, which is absolutely great and I love it, but the meaning behind guilt and why guilt is giving on Hanukkah. So it's a really cute snippet. I mean, it's just a few lines that I got to share there, but I think they're very powerful and meaningful. And I was very excited that they actually published it. I almost fell off my chair when they called me. But anyway, it was great to see. It's been great to just see it in print finally, because, you know, you like submit these things when they ask you for them, but you never really know what's going to happen. So I would love for you to check it out and tell me what you thought of what of what I said about Hanukkah and gift giving in Real Simple Magazine. In fact, what I'll be doing from now until Friday, December 4th is giving one of you the opportunity to win a 12-month subscription to Real Simple Magazine. All you have to do is take a picture with a holiday issue. It could be just you and the cover or you and the 
the issue of the magazine open to the page where I'm featured on and post it on your Instagram stories tagging me at Jewish Latin Princess and Real Simple, which is at Real underscore Simple. And that's all. Just tag us both and I'll be checking, me and my team will be checking out for those and we'll submit all of you. And on December 4th, one of you will select be selected at random and will win a 12-month subscription of Real Simple, which... I hope is an enjoyable gift. I mean, I know it's a great magazine. I always look forward to reading it. The contest does apply only to you as residents. So bear that in mind. And I really look forward to to doing this. I think it's going to be fun. So be sure to tag me, tag Real Simple on Instagram with your holiday issue open to the article or on how to save this holiday season or even just with the cover of the holiday um, issue. Now, Let's go to the review section of iTunes. As I've told you before, every week I'm going to try to pick a reviewer and then that reviewer of the week, we get to spend 20 minutes having a nice conversation over the phone, um, maybe having coffee together over the phone, etc. I look forward to those, but I do have to say and send really a public apology to one of my listeners and reviewers who is so lovely, but I totally missed our dates together. It's totally crazy how that happened. And I realized that I had been almost about to miss a lot of stuff because for some reason, appointments made it to my desktop, but they were not sinking into my calendar. Anywho, that's, it's not an excuse. Like I feel so terribly bad that I missed my appointment with Danielle. Um, I really was looking forward to that. So Danielle, if you're listening, I sent you an email already apologizing, but shoot me an email back and we'll try to set that up again. Let's hope that that does not continue to happen. I think I, I don't, I don't have it all sorted out because the truth is my iCloud is not really, well, my iCloud is working. What's not working is for some reason, the calendar on the desktop, which is supposed to be connected. Don't ask me. I probably have to spend a few hours with those genius at geniuses at the Apple genius bar. Um, which as you know, is not a place I enjoy being at, but, um, yes, my computer is, that's not even the only issue I've been having with my computer. So let's go inside the iTunes section for today. And here, I'm going to pick a review. This review comes from, (laughs) this is a funny name, fun game, lots of issues. That's a funny iTunes name, right? But she titles the review hooked. And she says, I've only listened to a few shows, but I'm hooked. I love the topics Yael addresses and her eloquence in speaking about them. She gets to the core of issues that are facing Jewish women universally. Well, thank you, fun games, lots of issues. I hope your life is more games than issues. But thank you for that lovely review. I'm so happy that you're hooked. And I hope you stick around and binge listen to all the fabulous episodes. Because indeed, there are a ton of great interviews in here. So send me an email at yael at Jewish Latin Princess and we'll set up a time to connect and chat over the phone. Hopefully this whole mess with my calendar will not happen again. Again, I'm so terribly sorry. Um, So um, fun games, lots of issues. Do send me an email and we'll try to coordinate our date. I look forward to that. Now, for my guests today. First of all, this is a different kind of interview. I don't think we've really ever covered this topic before, perhaps somewhat with Jeannie Milgram, but not really. This is this is quite unique. I have Dr. Rivka Lambert-Adler. She is the author of 10 from the Nations, Torah Awakening Among, Jew- among Non-Jews, excuse me, Among Non-Jews. And she's a well-known Torah educator, especially in the area of the non-Jewish awakening to Torah. 
Did you know about this? I mean, I'm sure you knew on some level, but today you get to learn about it more in depth. Of course, the question is, why focus on this when arguably amongst us, the Jews, there's still so much work to be done when it comes to Torah, to education and to developing a, a, a consciousness of redemption. You're going to love her take on this. Has there been controversy around Dr. Lambert Adler's work and how does she take it? When one educates non-Jews about Torah, how do you bridge the gap between normative Christian thinking, which regards the Bible as primarily the Tanakh or only the Tanakh, and Judaism, which regards the Bible as both the written and the oral Torah, and they are inseparable for us. So that would seem like a major bridge to cross. Let's see what she says about that. This and so many beautiful and interesting insights from Dr. Rivka Lambert-Adler. Here we go, ladies. Dr. Rivka Lambert-Adler, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. It is such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Yael. I'm delighted to be here. We get to talk about a most important topic, actually one of my favorite topics, redemption, Geula. That's your expertise. So I'm really, really, really excited for this conversation. And Dr. Adler, Rivka Adler, um, Lambert-Adler, oh, I'm going to get this confused the whole Just interview. Call me, call me Rivka. Thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> All right. So Rivka, what I wanted to say is that you, your work focuses on redemption, but you arrive at it from, I want to say like a different angle in the sense that you explore the topic of the non-Jewish awakening to Torah that is happening currently in our real in our world right now to the extent that you've written a book about it called 10 from the nations Torah awakening among Jews so non-Jews yes non-Jews exactly that's precisely my question so (laughs) how Rivka did you arrive at this niche because you were a freelance writer and yet you start researching this particular area what was it that drew you to focus on the non-Jews awakening as part of this narrative of redemption? Okay, great question. And let me just take go one step back and say, I've been fascinated with the idea that we are living in the messianic age for a long time, like more than a decade. Mm-hmm. And because people knew me both as a writer and as somebody who was interested in Geula topics, I actually got an opportunity to write for a publication in that's based in Israel Uh, through Israel 365. So Israel 365 has a particular outreach to non-Jews who love Israel, who are, for the most part, identify as as Christian Zionists of one flavor or another. And the idea of that assignment, which I started uh, in 2014, was to write about what's happening in Israel that appears to be uh, another step in the messianic process, Mm -hmm. but translating it into language that non-Jews would understand. Because people who are Christians are also fascinated with the end of days. They have some different scenarios for how that might be. But I think a lot of people who are spiritually inclined and spiritually plugged in sense that something is going on in the Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. And... So that's how it started. And I started writing these stories and trying to put them in a biblical, prophetic um, kind of a context and simplifying sort of the Jewish concepts for non-Jewish readers. 
And I developed a little bit of a following among the readers. And these people, because they loved Israel, this was pre-corona days, so they traveled to Israel all the time. And um, they would reach out to me and say, I read your stuff, and I'm coming to Israel, and we'd love to meet you. Uh, you know, we have this little group, or just me and my husband, or it's my husband and my, whatever. So I started meeting people. We would invite them to our home for Shabbat for a meal, which was very exciting for them to go to, like, an authentic Shabbat meal with a Jewish family right. in Israel. Um, and as what I love to do when I meet somebody new, much like what you're doing now, is to find out about their journey. And these people started telling me about how connected they are to um, what I always thought was Jewish stuff, Jewish, Jewish, Jewy things like mm -hmm. Shabbat and learning the weekly Torah reading and studying Hebrew and doing what we call the Chagim or the Yom Tovim, the, the Jewish holidays that they call the biblical feasts. And I was, this was so when I first started this journey, this was completely new to me that there were non-Jews who were having a Shabbat experience. They even knew what Shabbat was. Okay, it's not and the, exactly. Just to interrupt you for a second, and they're not coming at it from a perspective of let me explore this so I could convert, right? Correct. The, for many of them now, one of the things in 10 from the nations I tried to express is that there's a whole continuum of these people. And the more time they spend with with Jews, with knowledgeable Jews, especially in the land of Israel, the more time that they spend learning Torah, um, authentic Torah, um, the, the, the more they shift so that their perspective begins to look something like ours. Mm. A very, very, very tiny percentage of them do ultimately go on to convert because they believe that they're their souls are Jewish, whatever. But for most of them, they are connected to this idea through through their Christian identity. That, in other words, their uh, their leader, the the man they call either Jesus or Yeshua, because they say that was his Hebrew name, oh. was lived like the way much more similarly to the way an Orthodox Jew in Israel lives today, and they, as followers want to live the way that that he lived interesting <clears throat> and so that's what that is often their their initial um attraction to all of this so they're still they're very quick go ahead you want to ask something are, are they considered what people call noahides or is that a different thing that is a more down the road path path identity for identity them mm -hmm. because the it depends. There are different rabbinic opinions about whether or not somebody who is a Christian can also be a Noahide or a B'nai Noah. So in, in the book, Ten from the Nations, what I did was sort of roughly divide them into four categories. Mm -hmm. There's the, the Christian Zionists. These are people who, they may still go to Sunday church. Um, they are clearly identified completely as Christians. Um, maybe believe that Jesus is part of God. It's uh, Jesus is a divine figure, whatever. They're they're pretty mainstream, but they love Israel. They love the Jewish people. They are supportive of Israel, and they want to align their lifestyle a little bit more with the way that Jesus lived. Okay, mm -hmm. that's sort of an early stage. Now, some people, not everybody, goes through these stages. In fact, I built a taxonomy, which I I didn't share with you in advance, but of probably 15 or 20 different nuances of stages, but I'm giving you sort of a rough mm -hmm. idea. 
there are people who come from the world of Christianity, but believe about themselves that they are descended from the t- the Northern Kingdom, the Ten Lost uh, Tribes, uh-huh. and and they call themselves variously Ten Tribers or Ephraimites or whatever, and they believe that they were once that their attraction to everything that that we're talking about the um, that you and I might think of as Judaism, but they think of as like sort of this Hebrew lifestyle <laughs> or the Israelite lifestyle, the land of Israel, the Torah, they believe that they were once part of that, that their souls were once part of that, and that they yearned to come back, but not as Jews. Because just this tiny little history lesson, when the 10 tribes were exiled, what was left mostly was the tribe of Yehuda mm-hmm. and Binyamin and a, a smattering of other tribes. Most of the tribes were exiled. We didn't start to become Jews. We didn't call ourselves Jews until it was just that smaller group left from Yehuda, right? right? So they don't want to be Jews in the way that you and I identify, but they want to be part of the greater house of Israel. And they want to be accepted and to return to the land of Israel. It's kind of controversial, but that's sort of where they're holding. Now, many of them believe in the God of what they call the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And they believe that Jesus, who they call Yeshua, they may still believe that he's the Messiah uh-huh. They may believe that they certainly believe that he's their spiritual leader. He's their rabbi, so to speak. They call him sometimes Rabbi Yeshua. Um, they also have no interest in becoming in converting and becoming Jews, but they want to they want to reconnect themselves with the Jewish people because we were once right one right, one nation yeah, we were, exactly <laughs> exactly okay so that's the second group so we've got the Christian Zionists and and what I'm calling the Ephraimites now we have the Bnei Noach or the Noahides is called in English. Okay, so in in Torah, there are these seven basic laws, the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noah, right? That that God said this applies to everybody. Right. And so the the B'nai Noah often, but not always, have completely left their Christian identity, but they're not Jews. Okay, so they are they are living in the world as People who accept the 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 seven laws of Noah, the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noah, and have a close relationship with the Jewish people, um, but have no no desire to, to become Jewish, to, right? To become Jewish, right? Then the last group, and this is the one that I think is truly truly fascinating, and it doesn't really exist yet officially. Before the advent of Christianity and all through biblical times, there were people who lived beside side by side with the nation of Israel, the whatever you call us mm-hmm. at the time, who were not Jews, but they lived Torah lifestyles. You know, they had the same calendar. They, for the most part, ate um, kosher foods. They lived in the land of Israel. They didn't worship other gods. But again, they weren't, they weren't obligated by the 613 mitzvot that you and I are obligated on. Those in halachic terms are called ger toshav, mm-hmm. okay? Um, so it's different than a ger tzedek. It's not a it's not a convert. It's a person who lives in the land of Israel, has p- halachic permission to do whatever they want to do in Torah life. The way you and I are obligated, they are permitted, but not obligated. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they they would have Shabbat, but maybe they would make scrambled eggs on Shabbat morning or coffee or something like that. Um, things that you and I wouldn't do, but. When the Sanhedrin gets reestablished in the land of Israel, these people who have 
um, they have renounced all other faith systems. They have accepted the um, the yoke of Torah on themselves as it relates to them as non-Jews. And there are pockets of these folks around the world right now. Really? But they are, yeah, but they're not really officially can't be recognized because there's no Sanhedrin. But once there is a Sanhedrin, they would be able to go before the Sanhedrin and say, I don't worship other gods. I don't, I'm not part of any other faith system. I want to live according to the Torah's rules for non-Jews. I want to live in the land of Israel, whatever whatever it is officially that they say. And if the Sanhedrin recognizes them, then they would have permission, halachic permission, permission in Jewish law to come and live among us. And um, that is kind of, that is very exciting because we don't expect, it's not a Jewish idea that at the end of days, everybody becomes Jewish. Correct, right. But everybody, but we do believe that everybody will live under the Torah guidelines. Right. So what, what I see that's happening in the Christian world, that people who might have been raised in like Sunday church, mainstream Christian denominations, all of a sudden becoming kind of turned on by Torah study and relationships with Jews. And they don't eat kosher necessarily, but they eat what they call biblically clean. So they mm-hmm. follow the the basic rules of, you know, not eating pork and shellfish and, and so forth. Um, and they are moving closer to a Torah lifestyle, but it's a hybrid, you know, because they still have, they still identify primarily as Christians. So that's a really long answer, but it gives you like a sense of Fabulous. something's happening. Something's happening in the Christian world where it's not everybody, by the way. No, it's, but but it is millions of people and they are pointed toward and looking to the Jewish people exactly as the Torah says, looking to us to to lead them. So it's sorry to cut you off, but it, it, even if we were to simplify it, because this is very nuanced and very fascinating, but it's almost like even just on a very on a very um, high uh, what would we call it? Like, yeah, just high level um, explanation. What we are seeing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that there is a spiritual awakening from people of other nations, in this case, mostly Christian, and they're, they're leaning and finding some truth in Torah. Uh, they're looking at Torah as that source of truth and wisdom, which is a redemptive a redemption idea. 100%. In fact, um, the I, what I say about in the introduction to Ten from the Nations is that this is it's a messianic. It's part of the messianic process, process. because you and I believe that God is going to sort out what is all this business with other religions and other faith systems and all of that stuff. We have our and you know end of time scenario and. Um, what a lot of people, this was shocking. So the book has 37 stories of people coming from Christian backgrounds, telling their story of how they kind of got turned on to anything connected to Torah. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of them say, and this blew me away, is that when they were growing up in their Christian world, they never read the Hebrew scripture. The, what they call the Old Testament, I like to call it that. But they start reading from whatever the first book is in, in, in Christian scripture. 
And they know, like, as kids, certain Bible stories, like the story of Noah or whatever. But they never really read until they become adults. And when they read that and when they read about God's eternal covenant with his people and with the land... They and and they they watch they read the news they watch history they understand what's unfolding for the Jewish people in the land of Israel they say God keeps his promises and mm. has kept his promises to this people and this I want to be connected to that someone so I got a, a little chills when you were saying right? it because because inspired. even some of us and I hate to say this but some of us don't even see it that way. Among us, among Jews, I'm saying. And here are people from other nations that see there's something to this relationship that this creator of the world has with these people and this land. And there's been a promise and he's kept it. And yet, um, unfortunately, some of us haven't developed that sensitivity yet. So you know what's really interesting? In Shir Hamalot, in the the verses from the Tehillim, can I... Say Hebrew. I'm not sure. If, we'll we'll, we'll translate. Yeah, we, we translate. Okay. So in the in book Song of Psalms, Songs, chapter chapter 126, mm-hmm. which we say before we we say the grace after meals. So it talks about how the nations will say, "This is crazy." God has done good things for them, meaning the Jewish people, and then we say God has done good things for us. So it's it's as if they see it first and point out pointed out to us. It's right there wow. in the plain, simple meaning of the text. So that's one of the the verses that I see every day that's happening. And another one comes from, so the title of 10 from the Nations, this is a copy of the book, comes from the book of Zechariah, of Zechariah, chapter 8, verse 23. And there's a verse there that says that in those days, meaning at the end of days, meaning in our time, that it will happen that 10 people from the, all the languages of the nations will take hold of the corner of the garment of a Jew, meaning the tzitzit, mm-hmm. saying, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. And that idea, coupled with the, the biblical concept that most Jews know about, or Goyim, about what does it mean that the Jewish people are um, in some ways supposed to bring the light of God into the world and make it obvious for everybody to see, that um, that that's actually happening and that non-Jews are turning to the Jewish people and they are saying not only um, let us go with you because we have heard God is with you, but teach us. Hmm. They know Bible, right? They know chapter and verse. But what they know, first of all, now I'm speaking mostly of the English speaking world. Okay, they know an English translation of a, a tr- of a. Greek translation from the Hebrew, okay? Most of them can't yet read Hebrew, don't have any clue about the rabbinic tradition. Right. And so they... Yeah, I was going to say, how do you bridge that? Because what you and I and what what Jews believe is the truth is a written, a Tanakh and an oral Torah. I mean, you can't have one without the other. It's all MS, it's all truth. Whereas for them, fundamentally, they believe in the text of the Tanakh without that. So how do we how do we bridge that? So that's one of the first paradigm shifts that a Christian has to experience if they're going to be serious about their Torah study. Now, the truth is, to begin with, they could just read Hebrew scripture first. 
Mm-hmm. Just read that and see how many times God, how God makes a covenant with this people and with this land. And even even in English translation, right. that message comes across. But one of the jobs that I have and that the teachers that I work with have is to explain that Jews don't just read the Bible straight. We have a whole many thousands of year long tradition of the oral Torah and and we can show them places in in their Bible where you need more explanation or else it just doesn't make sense. Exactly. And and that helps it helps them shift their thinking because they think like Christians because they that's mm-hmm. what they come from, right? Mm-hmm. So um so they they have to be taught just very similarly to how you would teach a brand new Balchuva, like a, a Jewish adult who comes to who is an adult who doesn't have a background and you have to teach them some like kind of Judaism 101 some fundamental ways that Jews understand the world and that's not um it's not so hard once you accept that that's the job and once you do that they see and and my students and the students of my colleagues that are coming from a Christian background they always say they had no idea. Like they thought they knew the Bible. Mm. And, and, you know, in Judaism, there's so like layers, many, many layers. Exactly. Yeah, doesn't and, end. And, and we reveal that to them. And that's part of our mission, I think, as Orla Goyim is to say what God packed into this Bible is our job to unpack for the rest of our lives and is a... Um, is a uh, more and more the more you study it the more evidence you get of the greatness of God the more evidence you get of the um the the way that the intelligence of the divine being is so superior to human intelligence and they really when they get it 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 makes them weep that they, they can't believe a that they didn't know this before and b that there's so much more to learn about things that they thought they knew everything already about mm-hmm. um, and there there are just um, just deliciously moved by and spiritually spiritually touched and excited by the the way Jews learn Torah they just they just have to be um, coaxed to think of the to understand things a little bit differently and what I always say to my students is I'm not telling you what to believe I'm just telling you, here's the way Jews approach this. And mm. if you want to understand anything about Torah authentically, you have to learn to think like a Jew, something like that. Right. So you're giving them the the tools, the tools to do it. And I guess the difference between what you described and the process that a Jew who would become familiar with this you know, for the first time, let's say me, right? I I, I became um, observant in later, you know, in young adulthood. Um, the difference is that ultimately for you and I as Jews, it's not just an intellectual exercise. I mean, many of us, because we're very cerebral, come at it at first from an intellectual standpoint, but ultimately it's just a connection to the divine. You know, it's, it's it's so much more than an intellectual exercise when I keep the mitzvot and when I learn God's words and God's wisdom. It's it's beyond that. So there is that difference at the end of the day. Yes, in the sense that for, I think a Jew, um, a born Jew who's, who's learning this as an adult can go a lot faster. 
possible to go a lot faster because they're they're kind of buying into a whole package. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but I I don't want to diminish the the way that this kind of learning and the way that connections with with Torah Jews, especially in the land of Israel, changes the relationship between Christians and Jews. Mm-hmm. And um, and changes the way that 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 people coming from a Christian background view their own tradition. Yeah, and, yeah. and view the Jewish people. So they are. Um, it is amazing to me to watch God's hand in because up until very recently, I mean, I'm clearly older than you, but in my childhood, I remember feeling or being told in certain situations it's not really safe to tell people that you're Jewish mm-hmm. and now we have in, in one generation okay we have switched that to where there are millions of Christians who are pulling on the the cloak of the Jew and saying I want some of what you understand teach me what you've got and it's a uh, um, it gives us the 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 sense that when God has finished this whole messianic process, the entire world will be living under the rubric of Torah, but that the, there will be different, obviously there'd be different rules for Jews and for non-Jews, uh, but we will have certain commonalities. And I have more in common with somebody who is a Torah aware non-Jew than I do with some secular Jews. I'm sorry to say, but on a super you know, on a superficial level, you do on a deep on a, le- le- on, a on a spiritual deep level, you don't, right? Because there's a neshama connection, a soul connection that is inevitable. But, but we have we have more to talk about. Yes. we share a common language. We share a common desire for a spiritual outlook, type, a an spiritual outlook, outlook right. because they've shifted their outlook as as they've they've started to see things from the lens of truth. Okay, they wouldn't probably say it quite that way but um but, but they would but clearly they are godly people right and even when they were christians they were godly people they're just they just understand that the jewish people have something um that they want to know more they want to know more of and um and so all of the work all of my work the journalism that I do, that I still do, the new book that I'm working on, the um, my that'll be my third book, my second book, um, the teaching that I do. I think everything that I do is the thread that kind of holds them together. Is is this idea of bringing God consciousness more into the world, mm-hmm. whether it's to a, a Jew who reads a, a story that I write in the Jerusalem Post, or um, or a non-Jew who comes to one of my classes. Um, or, or even to maybe a, somebody who's not so connected, but who reads Facebook posts that I, um, that I post or something like that, that, that there's a, there's godly light coming into the world. And I want to be, and I, I hope that God thinks of me as one of the vessels that he has to help share. Does this sound really corny? Maybe it's a little, but I really, I really do believe this, that, 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 I am in an unbelievably um, privileged position of being able to help make God look good in the world, Mm. to raise the level of God consciousness with the people who I come into contact with, either through my writing or teaching or, um, or books. 
are you really hungry for? What if you could make peace with food and your body without restrictive food rules? Join Rena Reiser, Mind, Body, and Compassion Coach, in her program, Nourish. You'll learn deep principles and practices to help make friends with food and discover a more satisfied, fulfilled, and calmer you. Learn more at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash nourish. It's not a food plan. It's not a healthy lifestyle program. It is so much more. It's an introspective journey where you'll learn to reparent and repair your relationship with food, your body, and yourself. Check it out at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash nourish. It is fascinating that God made it through his divine providence that the people who you should focus to raise this God consciousness, because we both know, you and I know that there's tons of work to be done within the Jewish world to elevate the God, the God consciousness, right? And the, 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 to, to deepen the perspective and the, you know, um, all of that. But God has chosen you to work with this specific area, which again brings me to my original question. And let's say it this way. Were there hints along the way um, that now looking back, you say it makes sense that this is how it should have ended up? Or is it still a mystery to you? No, that's a great question. And I actually have two answers. For years before this flowered, before it blossomed, I used to get contacted by random people on Facebook. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> okay, so they would ask me Jewish questions. And I would say, I, I'm happy to answer your question, but like, why, why did you, had you find me? Mm -hmm. I'm clearly not the only Jew on Facebook. <laughs> um, and I never understood that until this started coming together. And then I said, oh, it's like Hashem was preparing me to be, um, to receive. Mm -hmm. So I, I often say I have no interest in talking to a Christian about Torah and trying to convince them of anything. Right. I'm not, I'm not soliciting for new Torah observant <laughs> members. What I'm doing is receiving. If somebody's, if somebody's looking for a receptor, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm receiving. And if I can't help them, I have a, uh, a wide network and I can direct them. But there's more than that. And when I thought about it, I thought about what am, what has God, how has God shaped my life so that I really am a person who could do this? Because this wasn't, it's not like when I was 12, I thought when I grow up, I want to teach Torah to non-Jews, right. right? Okay, so <laughs> um, so like you, I am also a balat shuva, okay, if, oh, from my early 20s. And and so I, I have some sense of, number one, what it's like to be an adult student of Torah ideas. I also have a PhD in adult education. And so I, I know something about teaching adults. I also am a rabbi's wife. And that gives me a certain amount of credibility that isn't really earned, but that's just the nature of it, you know, because I'm a rabbi's wife. I'm also a mother tongue English speaker. And the the number now it could be that there are millions and millions of other people like this who speak other languages that I have not accessed mm -hmm. yet. But the the English speaking ones, I can 
I can get to. And English, of course, is sort of a universal language. I also live in Israel. And um, and because I have a, a secular background and a secular education, I, I, I didn't grow up in a um, cloistered kind of Jewish environment. And so I'm comfortable with people who are different from me. Yeah. And, and when I first started doing this work, I went to talk to a rabbi, a very prominent rabbi, to, to make sure what I was doing was kosher. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said to me something that it gives me chills when I think about it. First, he said, not only may you do this work, but you must do this work, that this is your shlichut, this is your mission. But he also said, we are so close to the end of days that there are souls out there that need to be reached. And you have no, we have no way of knowing until they get exposed to the power of Torah, how they're going to react to it. But if if the Jewish people put up a wall, as we have and needed to for 2000 years, Mm. right, to say, just like, leave us alone. (laughs) Um, But we live in a different world now. Um, Those those souls who are on the other side of the wall, they will never be able to get close to to the authentic expression of their spiritual development, which may be that they need to be Jews, right? So he he gave me um, sort of my marching orders and said, you know, this is a critical time in history when the... We say, you know, Ki Mitzion Torah, from Jerusalem will spread forth the Torah, right? Um, from Zion will come forth Torah and the word of God from Jerusalem. And how does that happen if the Jewish people are not willing to engage with anybody who isn't Jewish already, right? So sometimes people ask me sort of the question that was hidden in your comment that you didn't exactly come out and ask me, and that is, why am I spending all my time with non-Jews when there's so many Jews who are so far from Torah? Mm -hmm. And my answer to that is is a two-part answer. First of all, I feel very, very, very deeply that God asked me to respond to this mission. And also, we need all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. You know, there are there are people who have been working in Kirov who touched my life and, and touched your life and, and the lives of tens of thousands of other Jews. And that's what they're supposed to be doing. But one of the answers that I once gave is, if I was a plumber, would you tell me I shouldn't be a plumber, I should be an electrician, I should be... You know, if I was a teacher, we say I shouldn't be a teacher, I should be a nurse. Like there's all kinds of jobs to do in the world. And this is the one I think that God gave me. Um, Some Jews don't like that, but. Yeah. So let's talk about it, because I would (laughs) think that it is um, it is. Is it controversial? Have you faced resistance, criticism? How has that gone? Especially in (laughs) Israel, when, you know, things can get heated up (laughs) pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not my favorite topic, but it's a fair question. And I will tell you, yes, I have had more than my share of Mm. pushback. Um, The pushback comes to some extent, to a smaller extent, actually, from the Christian side, when people misunderstand and think because Christians, most Christians, um, at least the ones that are connected to Israel, are... um, are taught to evangelize and they assume that the Jewish people are also interested in evangelizing. And so, and they also see that when people are exposed to authentic Torah, their relationship with their, with Christianity changes. Mm. And sometimes, for example, 
they leave Christian church, they leave Sunday church. So it's a threat to some extent. Right, right. So I, I sometimes get accused, ironically, of evangelizing (laughs) for Jews. Okay, that's on the Christian side. I don't take that too seriously, because a it's totally not true. I have no interest in in making new Jews. Um, (laughs) And, and also, they're not my people's at, you know, so it's, it's easier for me to deflect that, right? Yeah. The criticism that comes from Jews is a lot more painful. Um, and, and it comes, I think, from, from Jews who are unable, they don't know the kind of people that I know. And they think that either um, all, all Christians really, really, really just want to convert the Jewish people, and this is all a ruse, mm. and I'm being naive, and um, they're just trying to, you know, kind of worm their way in, um, or they think that I sold out and that I um, I'll only do this I only do this for money, which is sort of funny because, <laughs> um, or um, or that I am enabling missionaries. So it's interesting on the Christian side, mm. I get accused of missionizing Christians to become Jews. And on the Jewish side, I get accused of cooperating with missionaries and making it easier for them to ravage the Jewish people, neither of which are true. Right. And they are completely polar opposite. Um, but uh, a lot of Jews not only don't understand what's happening and that this is part of the the Geula process, that the that the nations will turn to Israel and turn to the Jewish people for spiritual leadership and guidance and, and teaching, um, but they're kind of still stuck in the mode of all Christians are bad and we have to keep them as far away from us as possible. And it's not like I can't understand that. Um, I wrote a whole book to try to better explain um to better explain what this process is. But I do, I have um, lost friends. Mm. I have lost, um, I have been accused of um, associating with missionaries and um, to the detriment of my people, which is, you know, so I told you before that I'm a rabbi's wife and I've spent the better part of my adult life serving the Jewish community. Right. And to be accused of doing something that is harmful to the Jewish community is, uh, it's not fun. No, no, for sure. It's painful. It's painful, but I, but it is absolutely. But I do really, really believe that this is holy work, that God um, wants to see the, the light of the Torah spread all over the world and that the time for it is now. And I think, with, you know, with anything that is sort of new or cutting edge or whatever, I'm certainly not <laughs> alone in, uh, in, in being criticized for doing something that other people are not comfortable with. And I, I'm not, you know, I have pretty broad shoulders and fairly thick skin, and it's easier for me now to roll with the criticism. Okay, I, everybody doesn't have to love what I do. I just want God to be proud of me. And you know what, Rivka, it almost I feel like it almost um it almost validates the need for what you're doing, meaning spreading the awareness of a messianic era, spreading the awareness that there is such a concept in Judaism that we firmly believe in and unfortunately 
the concept of, of a messianic era is a little bit taboo still in, in many segments of, of Jewish of the Jewish world. So it really validates what you're doing because at the end of the day, yes, you, you uh, there there's the conversation that you're having is very specific to the people from the non-Jewish world who are genuinely interested in this. However, it's all a, a it's it's part of the broader conversation and narrative of bringing this perspective to the forefront, which is part of the process. We have to sharpen our eyesight and see what's happening. So in in another part of my professional life, which the boundaries between my professional life and personal life are kind of muddied since I came to Israel, but um, because I, I, you know, everything I do is Jewish in some way. So, um, but I, I also, in a more, in a more general sense, I speak about Geula and I, and I run Geula programs and I bring other speakers in to talk about this message that, you know, you guys, we are in a very special time and the piece of what's happening with the non-Jews is a very, very large piece of it for me. But it's not the only piece. Of course. You know, like just just today I was I interviewed somebody because I'm working on a story. He has a vision to build uh, an online academy for Kohanim to learn how to do the service in the third mm-hmm, temple mm-hmm. to prepare for for Geula, to prepare for the time when these things are real. And they're so they're they're like on the tip of my tongue. They're for like sure. it, I, I feel like everything that happens in the news, I I try to figure out like what's the Gaula spin on this? How does this illustrate that we're in this very very special time? I mean, we're in this and, pandemic, Rifka. Right, <laughs> mamash Gaula. <laughs> right. So I love those kinds of conversations with people who who think like that and who don't just think like what we would say as Jews, it's not just Peshat. It's not just the simple meaning of what's going on, but look deeper. Because everything in my Torah study is, is directs me to, um, to see God's hand more and more deeply in everything that we experience. So, you know, so yes, right now I haven't been able to get my hair cut for seven months, right? That's all true. But, but it means something, you know, it's part of something. I think the fact that you and I, two observant women who came to Judah to Jewish observance later in life, could be having this conversation in a public forum, a podcast which is listened by it, it, hundreds of other Jewish women who might not have had the benefit of a Jewish education. I mean, that that is that is redempt, redemption right there, you know. So actually, this gives me a chance to mention this new project that I just started which is, it's a, it's a book about people like you and me who were born Jewish but didn't have a, a Jewish education as, as young people, who came to Jewish tradition as, um, as adults from the stories that I'm looking for and that, that I'm working on are people who, in a million years, these are not like I grew up conservative and I gradually mm. became more interested and then I started keeping Shabbos. These are people who came from distant places, no connection, um, and and who are now living traditional lives as Orthodox Jews, because I think that is also part of Geula. Of course. That, that, that Hashem is waking people up spiritually, the ones that he wants on his team, right, and is, and, and is saying to them, I, I want you to see me, I want you to know me, I want you to be part of my people, and um, it is 
this is it's just another side. So Ten from the Nations to Awakening Among Non-Jews is a book I, I did and I am very passionate about. But Torah Awakening Among Jews, mm. um, it, I think it has a it has a different feel now than it did, let's say, in the 80s and the 90s when there were large, large numbers of people becoming Balichuva. And now it's like I almost visualize like the, you know, the window is closing, you know, the opportunity to sort of get on God's team and to align with with a spiritual life and with a godly way of looking at the world is closing and, and people need to jump on board. And, and I want to inspire Jews now um, to to see what it looks like when you turn your life upside down in order to follow God that that's like a real option for people. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if, if I, I don't know if I agree with the fact that it's closing, but I do and I, I definitely see here's how I see it. I think we are part of God's team, no matter what. It's just in some of us it has to be revealed and it's just latent potential and it will revealed. But my point is my perspective is that revelation is gonna come. And these type of conversations help people get in touch with that part of themselves that, you know, it's just dormant, you know, and for you and I might have been a Shabbat dinner that we went to, or it might have been, you know, it's usually not a thing. It's an accumulative process of things that we experience that all of a sudden our, our perception starts shifting. And before we know it, we take on one practice and that you know, does something to us. And then there's another one. So I think what you're doing is beautiful. And they're definitely the that new project, that new book is super timely. And I think it's going to be a huge hit and much, much needed, much needed. Listen, I hope that your vision is right. And that we all (laughs) sort of we all make it. Um, We will. There's different opinions about that. And um, but in any case, I there's there's some kind of spiritual energy that's circulating in the world that that people are plugging into. Yes. And I I want to just amplify that in whatever yes. way that I can. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, you've worked on yourself over these numbers of years and your work has helped you in your own personal journey, I'm sure. Leave us a taste before we wrap it up um for listeners of advice on how would one start developing that Geula consciousness? What is something that you could tell women that they could be practical that you feel would help them sharpen their eyes, so to speak? Wow. Um, I, I think... Short of um, reading your book. (laughs) Well... Um, I, but I actually, I, there are other books that have been very meaningful for me. And if I, I wasn't prepared to answer this question, so I don't have a bibliography in front of me, but I could share with you if you can put it in like the, course, the, the, show the, notes. the show notes or something. Um, because I think when you begin to look at, um, look at Torah, um, I'll, I'll give you an analogy. I'm not sure this is. This is so off the off the off the top of my head, but because it's been just so clear to me for such a long time that we're in this stage, I'm, I'm trying to think of somebody who just doesn't see it at all. Where would they start? Um, uh, so, if you are a person who has access to a traditional Jewish prayer book, there are once you start looking, you see how many mentions there are in our traditional prayers of things that are part of the Geula era, 
okay, mm-hmm. of how often we speak about or we pray for the return of the exiles, the rebuilding of the third temple, the um, the the presence of the messianic figure of Mashiach ben David with us, the tchiat um, the the resurrection of the dead. These are all things that are in everyday Jewish prayers that most of us either we don't know because we're not familiar yet or we say by rote and we don't even realize how much or due to living in 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 Galutz in in Galos and in exile we come at it from a the angle of other faiths so the concept of the messiah has a really bad rep so we don't go there (laughs) so actually in our tradition there's a pretty extensive, like it's like 15 verses or something that talks about the characteristics of the, the Jewish Messiah, what, what he will be like and what gifts he will have. Um, and that is in, you know, that's like in every, it's normative in, Judaism. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but there are also books that, for example, Rabbi Pinchas Winston, who is one of my teachers, he's a, grew up in Canada and he lives in Harnof, just outside of, not Harnof, um, Telstone, just outside of Jerusalem. And he's written about a million books on this topic. But one of them in particular is called Talking About the End of Days. Mm. And he sort of lays lays out this um, this concept, this very, very Jewish concept. You're so, it's so interesting what you said about Jews who live outside the land of Israel, who may be more familiar actually with sort of a Christian mindset than a Jewish mindset would think that the whole idea of a Messiah is a Christian concept, but they got it from us. Of course. Of course. um, And, you know, we as Jews don't believe that the Messiah, they think it is is the same figure, but we believe in the, the messianic, the concept that at the end of days, there will be a, a very charismatic, amazing human, figure who will um, help bring the world to redemption. So I think that looking in a Jewish prayer book, looking in a, um, in the Hebrew Bible, and um, those are some really foundational ways, but there are even secondary sources. And I could, you know, like, like this book called Talking About the End of Days, um, that are ways to to have more kind of Geula consciousness. A few years ago, I started a Facebook group called Geula Watch. Mm. And um, there's maybe I don't know, about six, six or seven hundred people in it, and we post um, articles, shiurim, lectures, Torah lectures, um, things that are. It's not so much a discussion group; it's more a resource group for people who are thinking about Geula, who see what you and I see, and who want to share it with others. So that's another way. Just if you join that the Geula Watch Facebook group and just start reading the posts, and you'll 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 begin to you begin to see it more clearly, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's- One last question before I wrap it up with uh, my famous JLP fill in the blanks. Rivka, when you he- how would you define a joyful, richer Jewish life? There's three things for me that, I, that bring me joy and richness in my spiritual life. One is learning Torah. Mm-hmm. And, and not just, I, I learned this fascinating thing, by the way, that you know this idea that when we're in utero and we learn, we learn the, the Torah. whole Torah, right? right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So what I found out recently is that there's a there's a teaching that we don't all learn the same Torah. That there's the revealed Torah and there's the hidden Torah. Mm-hmm. And 
whichever version you learned in utero is what you will resonate with. So right. there's some people, right? There's some people, they, they're interested in halacha. They're interested in gemara. They're interested in um, in that part of Torah. And I, I have to, my soul does not resonate with that. So what is what is joyful and enriching for me as a Jew is to learn chassidut, mm-hmm. uh, to learn the the the, the inner part. dimension, right? The inner dimension. Also, deep conversation like we're having now with spiritual people like you. That is part of my uh, my joyful Jewish life, and and having company for Shabbat, which I miss very very much. I know. Um, hearing people's stories and um, and hearing about their spiritual journeys. That's something that that en- enriches me and makes me happy. Um, I think that that's. Um, those are some of the elements for me. And that's so beautiful that you said that because I feel like the world has come to a place where humans are craving that space to be seen and heard. Like people, so to have people like you that want to genuinely know somebody and their journey is just such a gift for another human. It really is a gift. That's nice that you put it that way, but it, but it enriches me too. <laughs> So let's wrap it up with what I do with all my guests. And this is the part of the show where I'm going to give you an open ended statement. Are you going to finish it with the first thing that comes to mind? Okay, so don't overthink it. Number one is Amrifka Lambert Adler. And I feel most spiritual when when I'm learning Chassidut. Hmm, Very nice. I I would have to agree because that is a favorite of mine. Now this next one might be the same or something slightly different. Some for many people, it's different, but some might be the same. My favorite mitzvah or one that I connect with the most is knowing and believing that there's a God mm, in the world. Beautiful. My fond, by the way, I should mention for people that that is actually a mitzvah to know Hashem <laughs> and to have a Muna and Hashem. It's a mitzvah from the Rambam. So just to clarify that everybody should understand where Rivka is coming from. It's not just some fluffy thing that you're saying. It actually is no, something yeah. real. Um, my fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is standing under the chuppah with my oldest daughter when she got married. Wow. Such, such unbelievable joy. Wow. How many kids, Rivka? I have two. And one is married? So, one. Right. One is married. One is not yet married. Uh, I'm sure standing under her chuppa will also be a high for me, but I've only experienced it once. <laughs> beautiful. Very beautiful. Something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is? Oh, I wish I had learned that Judaism is about personal growth and character development and not just about rituals and yeah. uh, and stories. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> bagels. <laughs> bagels and cream cheese unlocks. When I give to that guy, I like to give to? I like to give to Jewish causes in Israel that, um, that help people who are struggling in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And finally, I'm Rivka Lambert-Adler, and today I feel most grateful for? For this conversation with you. I, you. I, I'm very grateful that you are intrigued by what intrigues me um, and that you're helping me spread the message. I appreciate that so much. And we are very, very grateful for your work. Keep at it. And we're here to support you. And um, listen, where can we find you? Because I want listeners to know where to find you. Okay, so it's very easy to find me on Facebook for those that are there, Rifka Lambert Adler. Um, And also by email, my email address is Rifka, R-I-V-K-A-H at Kotevit, K-O-T-E-V-E-T dot com. Rifka at Kotevit dot com. I will make sure to put that in the show notes and let us know when that new book comes out. I will be waiting. If God blesses it, I I hope it'll be out sometime next year. Much, much atzlacha. Thank you for the work that 
you're doing and thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to Dr. Rifka Lamber-Adler for stopping by. Her book is 10 from the Nations, Torah Awakening Among Non-Jews. And she's also written another book you might be interested in checking out, 100 Days of Thanking Hashem, a Jewish Gratitude Journal, both available on Amazon. Okay, guys, so here are the takeaways. Number one, at the end of days, when Mashiach comes, not everyone will become Jewish, but the whole world will recognize the oneness of God and His wisdom, the Torah, and thus live under its guidelines as it pertains to them. Number two, there are millions of people looking at us, the Jewish people, to lead them and looking at Torah as the ultimate wisdom. Number three, non-Jews are oftentimes more keen to seeing current day events of our nation and recognizing that God has kept His promise to us, just like King David says in Psalm 26. Number four, we are supposed to bring the light of God into the world and raise the level of God consciousness in all that we do. Number five, we need all kinds of people and God needs all kinds of jobs done in his world. There is divine providence. If you've been led to something, it's because God needs you there. Number six, everybody doesn't have to love what you do. Just make sure God is proud of it. After all, you're his ambassador. Ladies, thank you for being here. I hope you found this episode interesting and insightful. And if you did, would you share, would you please leave a review and rating on iTunes? And hey, you can even share it with a friend, send her a link, a friend who you know might enjoy the tapes, the, these types of conversations, the type of conversations we have here on this show. And remember, head out to find your copy of Real Simple Magazine. That is, if you don't already get it delivered at home, which I know so many of you do. In either case, snap a picture with it, be it the cover or the article where I'm featured, which is the one on holiday savings, and post it on your Instagram stories. Tag me and tag Real Simple, and voila, you will be entered to win a 12-month subscription. I can't wait to announce the winner on December 4th. Next week, a conversation with one of my most epic guests, someone who was here way at the beginning of this show on episode four. I wonder who's been listening for that long. I won't tell you who the guest is. Go listen. Go head over to find out who's on episode four. And then let's talk later. Oh, and I just had a fun idea for another giveaway. Hmm. All right, ladies. I'll see you here next time. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.